Welcome to episode 14 of Mental Health by TalkLink. Here's what's coming up. Many people come to see me, they think if I just get rid of my depression, if I just get rid of my anxiety, then everything will be fine. And I have to say, well, really? Not necessarily. I might be able to help you remove this, but it doesn't mean you're doing things that bring you joy. Hi, I'm Rowan, and this is part two of a two-part segment with Dr. Yvette Vardy about borderline personality disorders. This podcast is brought to you by TalkLink, an online directory connecting young Australians with the right mental health practitioner. If you'd like to ask Dr. Vardy a question, you can do so anonymously at talklink.com.au forward slash podcast. We'll do our best to answer it in a follow-up Q&A session. Let's dive in. Okay, so Dr. Vardy, I guess we've been talking about how difficult it is to live with BPD and Mm -hmm. how prevalent it is affecting, you know, 1% of people, I think you said, and how the system isn't really equipped to deal with those who suffer from BPD. Yeah. And you've also mentioned that most clinicians, you know, like psychologists, psychiatrists, and counselors need specific training and aren't necessarily well equipped to be able to deal with BPD. So you've mentioned dialectical behavior therapy or DBT as an evidence-based treatment for BPD. Yeah. Gosh, this is beginning to sound like an acronym for a rap or something. So uh, please tell us about DBT, the treatment. Oh, I love this stuff. So I'd love to talk to you about it. (laughs) Dialectical behavior therapy. It was originally designed for people who were chronically suicidal And Marsha Linehan, who is such an amazing person, she's actually come to be open about her own personal history with borderline personality disorder. She created, she wanted to devise a treatment for people who kept feeling suicidal. I mean, how fantastic is that? And she saw that cognitive behaviour therapy treatments were just not working. People would feel invalidated by the approach. Now, CBT, cognitive behaviour therapy, focuses on changing thought patterns, changing beliefs, modifying these when they're not realistic in order to change and reduce the intensity of problematic emotion, that focus on change, if you take it to the extreme, someone who's sensitive can then feel, well, okay, so now I'm not even thinking right. So now this thought is judgmental too. So now I'm judging my judging and and that's wrong and I'm not supposed to do that. And now I'm always doing that. And oh no, that's an overgeneralization. So it can exacerbate uh, symptoms and a sense that a person is not okay. So what she did, Marsha Linehan added in acceptance-based strategies and dialectical behaviour therapy was in fact the first psychological therapy that included mindfulness. And so she took Zen practices, things from the Zen tradition, Uh, around mindfulness and acceptance and she noted that change and acceptance these two things these two goals in therapy are complete opposites dialectical theory 
is all about how two apparent opposites like change and acceptance, how these in fact can coexist at the same time. So we both want to change something that's problematic within ourselves Mm -hmm. And we need to also simultaneously accept ourselves as we are at the same time. Too much focus on change. And as I've said, we get the sense that we're not okay. Too much focus on acceptance and we don't move. We don't recover. So treatment, DBT is about the synthesis of both these things is about finding the middle ground, finding the way through. Now, this is really a great match for individuals with BPD Mm -hmm. because BPD is characterized by extremes. So dialectical behavior therapy, instead of extreme ups and downs, we look for the balanced emotion. Instead of black and white thinking, we're trying to find the shades of grey, in terms of idealization and devaluation with relationships, again, we're looking for consistent boundaries and a sense of self and all these things. So we're looking for that middle ground, that synthesis. Mm -hmm. And DBT does that through coming to wisdom and... Yeah, it's hard to explain. It's it's actually a complex psychological treatment um, and it's got many different components. I think you've explained that quite well because my thinking process as you were talking me through that was literally what change and acceptance, that's completely opposites, that doesn't make sense. How and why would you try and incentivize someone to change while also assuring them to just accept where they are? But then you made this beautiful connection with the condition of borderline personality where someone is hypercritical of themselves and you almost soothe and balm that hypersensitivity and hypercriticism with the assurance and acceptance using mindfulness-based therapy. And then once you're in a stable, comfortable place, you can then have the strength to look forward and project forward and change. That made perfect sense to me. Did I understand that? Right. It's a balance. You know, these dialectics play out in so many more ways. So in traditional dialectical behavior therapy, there are two facilitators in groups and there's individual therapy and there's a group therapy component and there's phone coaching component and there's even staff consultation. Each therapist in group might model acceptance and change. There are skills about accepting emotions and changing emotions. We might need to tolerate our distress when we can't change things. Did you say there's like a good cop and a bad cop therapist? <laughs> Is that basically it, it what you're saying? It can be like that, yeah. It can, it can definitely be like that because DBT steps out of an idea of a right or a wrong. And in because that would be black and white and it moves instead to a sense of what's wise for us in any given moment can change over time. So it's complicated and there's lots of these different skills. The one thing, another thing I really like about DBT is that it is a skills-based approach. And that's because one of the assumptions 
underpinning DBT is that whilst a person might not have had an upbringing that taught them how to manage their strong reactions, mm-hmm. these are skills that can be taught. And so recovery is completely possible. What's more, skills, once you've learned them, you've got them for life. Mm. And there is evidence now that shows that the skills component, which is only one part of DBT, the skills in isolation has been shown to be effective treatment for a number of disorders. So the skills have been shown to be useful for chronic depression, for anxiety disorders, for PTSD, for ADHD, for oppositional defiant disorder, for bulimia and binge eating disorder, for BPD, so many different things. So for me, I feel that this is really exciting because every person that I know who I've taught these skills to says, I wish I had have just got this in my, you know, school. I wish I had have just got this stuff because it's basic skills in what on earth to do with emotions, how to do relationships, how to get your needs met without putting people offside, how to tolerate urges. Like we all could benefit from learning just the precise mechanisms and the skills required mm-hmm. to tolerate urges without acting on you know, without having a drink or without yelling or without giving up and abandoning our goals to exercise more and that type of stuff. So that's something that I'm passionate about, which is why I'm now offering the DBT skills online. Yeah, on my website, which is, I feel awkward talking about it really, but um, please do. on my website now is a new program and it's not been done like this before essentially in order I have these 60,000 people here in Victoria in mind that have no way of accessing help and offering DBT skills online because there's reasonable evidence to say that they help I think it's a great way of offering them where more people can access the skills and I've got the specialist training which it's hard to kind of get that uh, to make the programs viable the way that I'm offering the skills in this program is actually not even as a therapy so if I offer it as a therapy what happens is the people with BPD or the clients are the ones that think that they uh, need these skills And the family members, um, the partners, the clinicians, we're supposed to practice what we preach. Anyone interested in learning these skills, they get locked down. Dialectical behaviour therapy programs are generally offered in outpatient hospital settings or community Mm. mental health settings. So every other person doesn't get access to really, really helpful skills in life. So what I've done in this program is I've taken DBT skills out of the therapy realm altogether Mm -hmm. 
and I'm offering it as training. And anyone involved, because they're offered as webinars and the focus is on teaching skills, people can engage anonymously mm-hmm. and they can then watch the replays as well whenever they want. So the flexibility is there for people, even therapists. So I've got therapists and psychiatrists doing the program to skill up at the same time as people identifying as clients doing it even with their partners together. So everyone can skill up in this approach together because we know the way that hospitals work makes people with BPD worse and clinicians are not trained in how to manage individuals with BPD. It sounds like such a specialized area and the skills that you've listed out sounds like skills in setting boundaries, skills in um, self-discipline and skills in communication. I mean, who doesn't want to improve on those areas? Absolutely. You don't have to be suffering from BPD to, to improve your lifestyle with those sorts of skills. Yeah, that's that's it. It's um, It's just really basic and important life skills. And some of us have been lucky to naturally have those um, mm. and many of us just have never been taught them. But you, yeah, you're not born with those skills. You have to learn them in the course of life and you have to have the right um, parental context or social context or community context to learn them. And if you've not had that, then there's no point in your life at which you can't learn those anymore, right? Like you can learn them at any point in your life and improve your life. That's right. And I don't even feel like it should be labeled therapy to learn these skills. Um, sure. That's exactly right. So I want this to be just, it's just a training thing. So again, I'm sure. really passionate about that because there is a real pattern of pathologizing individuals with BPD and even pathologizing people with mental health conditions. So I love the DBT focus on it's a skills-based approach And once you've got the skills, you've got them for life and recovery is totally possible. Yeah. So hang on, just help me understand what you mean by that. When you say there's a real pattern of pathologizing someone, what does that mean? So often individuals um, get blamed for uh, any problematic thing. So let's imagine you've got a couple and one person in that couple was diagnosed with a mental disorder, then it's easy for the other person to blame any difficulties that arise within the relationship on the person with the mental health condition. A person can be scapegoated and a person can even blame their own disorder and stigmatize themselves. So a number of people come to see me and they describe uh, struggling to function and they say, oh, it's my depression. Oh, it's my BPD. And when they label it like that, it makes it harder for them to see that they can learn skills to moderate the way in which they manage this mood, this low mood. In fact, labeling their low mood as depression kind of acts as though it's static and it's unchanging. Whereas if this is sadness, that is a mood that has lasted for a long time and it is strong in intensity, then they can learn skills 
about what maintains emotion, what builds emotion, what keeps emotion around. And they can apply that to low mood or struggles with anger or struggles with anxiety. The skills themselves are the same. If they've identified with the disorder, you can see that it might act as a barrier to them thinking and believing that change is indeed possible. Do you, in your experience, see it on a bit of a a spectrum, on a continuum? Do you sometimes see a patient and think, well, I don't know if you'd meet all these criteria and technically hit the mark, but you've definitely got some elements of that. Is it a very one way or the other, or does it exist on that spectrum? That's That's a really great question. Actually, there was a whole debate in the research around how best to class personality disorders. And prior to DSM-5, the fifth edition, Mm -hmm. there was an attempt to reclassify how a diagnosis was made and an attempt to move from this categorical approach of categorizing personality disorders as BPD or let's say narcissistic personality disorder or um, you know, avoidant personality disorders. So there are 10 different personality disorders at the moment. Instead Mm -hmm. of categorizing these, they were attempting to move to a more dimensional approach of understanding personality where we've got healthy, um, there's a range in functioning between healthy and pathological. And I think it is definitely useful to consider that these are a spectrum, the, uh, these experiences operate on a spectrum. Personally, in my practice, I don't consider diagnosis to be the most important because dialectical behaviour therapy is transdiagnostic in the way that it works. So when I first meet a person, because someone's often got multiple diagnoses, Mm. so a person with BPD often has substance use issues, they often have anxiety, depression and eating disorder issues all at the same time. It's not really helpful for me to divide all that up and give different treatment to different disorders. Mm -hmm. So dialectical behaviour therapy was created to handle this comorbidity And it does that by assessing each individual and assessing what particular problems does this person have. So if they struggle with low mood that is persistent, then that's important for me to help that person address. Whether I call that part of borderline personality, whether I call that part of depression, whether I call that part of... Uh, grief because of what a client's been through either way whatever the label is Mm -hmm. or the diagnosis the skills required to manage it are the same if they struggle with anger as well or if they struggle with let's say reckless driving and drinking I'm going to need to help this person understand how to regulate and refrain from acting on urges to recklessly drive, to recklessly drink. So the skills that I would like to help them to learn um, is what I'm focused on because we want to help that person recover 
So it doesn't matter whether I label that impulsivity as part of the BPD or part of a substance use disorder. I'm focused on the actual problems. And the, and the therapy in the context of DBT will speak to those problems, regardless of where you could necessarily classify them coming from. Absolutely. So severity is something that is important when we think about personality functioning. Absolutely. And the therapy that I'm doing focuses on each individual. The thing I also love about DBT, there's so many things I love about DBT, is that it's not enough, is it, just to remove the problems in a person's life. If we remove anxiety and if we remove depression, what have we left with? Many people come to see me and they think that if I just get rid of my depression, if I just get rid of my anxiety, then everything will be fine. Everything will be great. And I have to say, well, really? Not necessarily, because I might be able to help you remove this, but it doesn't mean you're doing things that bring you joy in life. It doesn't mean you're living a rich and fulfilling life. So it is not enough to just remove the symptoms. We can be left with a fairly empty, meaningless existence. Instead, if we want to create a life worth living, which is DBT's overall goal, we want to think about deliberately building the causes and conditions for those positive emotions. We want to trigger positive emotions. We want to do things we enjoy in our lives. That sounds far more holistic than I'd first expected it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we want to consider what really makes a life worth living for us. What do we personally value? Because that's ultimately the thing that will be most protective to someone who might feel suicidal for very valid reasons. Yeah, of course. Actually, you've mentioned a few times now that most clinicians are not experienced in dealing with borderline personality disorders. So what exactly is involved in getting clinically trained up and how does someone who may need to find some help along the lines of borderline connect in with the right person who's trained and equipped to deal with it? Uh, so DBT is, uh, it is a long process and I think it's important that it's done well because it's a complex treatment there are many different layers involved so first of all generally there are two-day introductory trainings there is um, manuals and a person would need to read up on those things uh, there is skills that a person needs to be able to understand deeply and practice their own skills and really learn how to master each of the DBT skills. Uh, we really need to practice what we preach, otherwise it's pretty condescending. Not only do we need to practice what we preach, but we would be expected to model those skills as well as teach the skills. And it's personal experience of the skills that then helps us to 
authentically relate to, to how hard it is to use them and even think of doing them in day-to-day life. So there's that whole part. There's an organisation called Behaviour Tech and Marsha Linehan created this. Um, it operates in the US and people can do what's called intensive training and that's training that goes for a year and it involves lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of different things and that's what's required to then really uh, I guess call yourself a dialectical behavior therapy therapist I suppose. Mm -hmm. In DBT now they have got certification and there is no body that does that in Australia at the moment. So it's something that is just evolving over in the US and that will probably become more and more taken up, I suppose. Um, And that's about adherence. So unfortunately, many people might say they do DBT and this is one way of trying to ensure that people who call themselves DBT therapists have been rigorously trained so that their practice reflects what the evidence uh, demonstrates works. So if someone wants to reach out to a, to a psychologist that is trained in this, what sort of questions could they ask or what would they look for on their website or their directory listing to get a bit of an insight for whether they have been formally trained in the full extent of the DBT program? Great. Yeah. So you would definitely want to seek someone with experience in DBT. Experience is very important and some training, either comprehensive or intensive training is a minimum really as far as being able to provide guidance and having a certain level of qualifications to offer supervision. Training and experience in the area is paramount because the the work for, for new clinicians, it is important to understand that the work evokes emotion. And so clinicians need to be able to manage their own emotions. And at times the work can get very stressful uh-huh. because the risk is, is really high. So borderline personality disorder is the only disorder where self-harm and suicidality is one of the diagnostic criteria. So it can make working with people with BPD quite stressful when you're a clinician trying to support someone who might say that they have urges to hurt themselves or kill themselves. So clinicians doing this work do need support and we need to be able to manage that risk and manage our emotions. So how do you, vet? manage your emotions in your clinical context when you you've you've talked about the fact that very often you have to take on a lot of the emotional um i'm not using your words here but what i remember was almost burden of some of your clients um what does that look like for you and what do you do what are some of your tools 
That's a great question. Essentially, it's it's very much the opposite of what you said there. So to do this work and to, to sustain the work, we need to be able to sit with and tolerate high intensity emotion. So I need to be able to have the highest levels of distress inside me and not act on my urges. I might have urges to rescue. I might have urges to abandon the work. I might have urges to, to get frustrated. And if I was to act on any of these urges, I'm stepping into something really problematic. I can engage in abandonment and leave a client and they've had that repeatedly in their client's life. I might vent my frustration and end up stepping into the role of the abuser. So it's very important and definitely not therapeutic mm. if I end up venting frustration. So you can see I need to be solid and I need to be available and I need to be consistent. So to do that, I need to be able to practice the very skills that I want them to be able to use in tolerating their urges. And I also need to perhaps get supervision regularly, which I do whenever I need to, and um, make sure that I'm looking after myself. I definitely need good boundaries. The urge that we have as clinicians or as family members or as anyone who genuinely cares is to take up responsibility for our clients. And ultimately, that approach doesn't help because the reality we become faced with is that we can't, we can't take up that responsibility. If someone presents in an emergency department because they're very unwell and possibly feeling suicidal, we might feel like we, we have to admit this person. And in fact, we do try to keep them safe. And there will be a time where that person needs to leave hospital. Mm -hmm. And this is the dilemma that we're faced with because sometimes the idea of leaving hospital can make a client with BPD worse. So they can end up getting caught into a bit of a cycle of trying to get their needs met in the most dramatic and problematic and risky ways. Mm. So essentially it ends up with a person who becomes chronically suicidal as a way to get their needs met because they're feeling so desperate and the system is not helping them to recover with the evidence-based treatments that are known to work. Instead, they're going in and out of hospital, which is just awful for everybody involved. It sounds like it's yeah. not a helpful activity for them because they're not actually getting treatment. And you mentioned a 10% suicide rate, which is, which is huge. Um, it sounds like a very complex problem that's cyclical in nature and quite problematic in outcome. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yvette, I want to honour our time commitment. Thank you for your time. My absolute pleasure. There is help out there. It is completely recoverable from these things. And hopefully the more we can talk about BPD, the less stigmatised it can become. And I think that's so important. So thank you again for having me. Okay. We're going to stop it there as the end of our conversation with Dr. Vardy. Join us next week as we talk about magic mushrooms and MDMA. Yes, but therapeutically. We speak with Mind Medicine Australia about the case for psychedelic-assisted therapy in Australia. There's been some huge progress in the US on this front very recently, and next week we'll take a deep dive into this fascinating topic. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review and a comment. We read every single one, and it gives us a huge boost to keep going. Your reviews and comments also make these conversations more discoverable by the listeners. Thanks so much.